Hello there and welcome to the Made for Love podcast, a Catholic podcast from the USCCB asking the important questions about the call to love. I'm your host, Andrew Bonapane, and today we are getting ready for Christmas in the best way possible. <laughs> not quite the best way possible. Advent is the best way possible. But this is not a bad secular consolation prize. We are talking about Muppet Christmas Carol on its 30th anniversary. Kara Bach, welcome back. Thanks for having me. This is a movie based, obviously, on Charles Dickens' classic novel, which we've both seen many times, right, Kara? I have, although I will admit, it's been a long time. Like, I know I saw it several times as a child, but I didn't come from one of those families that, like, watches a bunch of Christmas movies at Christmas time. I feel like it's one of those where, like, if it happens to be on TNT, maybe we watched it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, like, this was the first, like, purposeful act of Christmas movie watching that I have done as an adult, and it was very enjoyable. I'm not sure how I feel about Michael Caine in this role, but it's, Ooh, we'll, we'll get into that's that. That's a hot take. Wow. <laughs> In addition to getting ready for Christmas, we are both each getting our late fall sicknesses out of the way. Kara's got a stuffy nose and I have a sore throat, but we're going to power through for Kermit. <laughs> we're doing it for Kermit. And Tiny Tim. I guess we're doing it for Tiny Tim, really, yeah. Does he have a <laughs> Muppet name? I can't remember. I think it's Robin. That's right. I will say, one of the things that Jason and I were laughing about was, okay, so a pig... And a frog have kids. Why are the kids either pigs or frogs? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Robin, in the the main Muppets canon, Robin is Kermit's nephew. Much like Fred is Scrooge's nephew. Can't give either of them a a kid directly, but they got to have some extended family. I thought it was interesting, just like narratively, I really thought that when they went back into Christmas past, that... Scrooge is supposed to be an orphan, and then suddenly he has a nephew. I'm like, wait, so you had siblings. So did you, like, have to stay at school over Christmas? He did have a sister, Fan. They don't, they don't, I don't think they bring that up in the movie. No, they don't. No, it's just, Fred is his nephew, don't ask which side of the family. It's not important. We gotta, we gotta wrap this up in less than 90 minutes. <laughs> Unanswerable questions. There's yeah. a lot of them in this movie. <laughs> Anyway, let's take people through through this in a more logical <laughs> Yeah. So speaking of Scrooge, one thing that stuck out to me this time that I didn't really notice before is how much the movie version emphasized Scrooge's loneliness and just how often he was alone and the role that it played in his miserliness, his greed, and his misanthropic character. Was that something that struck you at all? Yeah, I mean... So I will not say that I am super familiar with the book. I, you know, have done some cursory online reading about it. But the thing that sort of struck me was just the kind of like building Scrooge up as this very sympathetic character that I I guess it's interesting because I would have thought that that would have played more into his conversion sort of story but it felt sort of strangely disconnected it felt sort of like we're giving him this sort of like relatable backstory just so that you're connected to him but it didn't quite seem to be as like clear of a plot line for me right because i think when when i thought back on the muppet version you remember the the opening musical number yeah (laughs) where michael Caine is like walking through victorian muppet london And they're all singing about what a bad person he is. It inhabits like the same like Christmas niche as you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Like it's the same kind of like idea. 
Is the Grinch supposed to be a Scrooge knockoff? Oh, that's an interesting... Probably not. That's a good question. Yeah. There's no ghosts that visit him. It also reminded me of Beauty and the Beast. I've seen some like very funny memes going around where she's like, Papa, I don't... It seems like the village doesn't like me. He's like, why would you think that? She's like, they were just singing a song about me. He's like, oh, yeah, I heard them practicing that. But yeah, so like Scrooge is a very solitary figure. And I think he partly or maybe even primarily is the cause of his own isolation. But one thing that it reminded me of was this uh, study that's been kind of making the rounds in the media lately, the American Time Use Survey. You know, they just did an update and there are kind of new findings on how, how the average individual is spending their time and with whom. And for the first 10 years they did the survey from 2003 to 2013, it was pretty much stable. There weren't many changes. And then over the last 10 years, since 2013, Americans have been spending more and more time alone. And this was happening before the pandemic. The pandemic just accelerated the trend. So that now the average American is spending nine more hours a week alone rather than with friends or what the study calls companions, which I think they're like lumping together spouses and coworkers maybe together. I don't know what companions is supposed to mean. But the general point is people are spending more time alone like Scrooge. And it just feels like a reason why society seems to be getting more crazy is maybe because we're all a little bit more like Scrooge because of, you know, a whole host of reasons, not just COVID, but technology and people, you know, moving from city to city, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it really, it's interesting you say that because I did feel like the loneliness was a very relatable kind of thing to bring up about him. Yeah, I just think that like, you know, in today's age, I think there's it's easy to identify with the idea of like, I mean, maybe if you've you know lived in the same place your whole life and you have family nearby, but obviously, you know, a lot of people, as you mentioned, like moving for work or moving to a new city, it takes a lot more work to break into a social circle. Or I was talking to a good friend of mine who's been in DC for a long time, but now she has, you know, a two-year-old. She's like, yeah, it's really, you know, I'm like kind of waiting to finally find like other moms that I like want to hang out with. I mean, this is like a common rejoinder about like finding mom friends, but I think it's like a, it's almost a punchline now because it is so common. I know it, it feels like, it's getting harder across the board for people to make friends. And like, obviously Scrooge doesn't have any friends. <laughs> um, the, I guess the only, the only person that he calls a friend before his conversion would be Marley or in the Muppets case, Marley and Marley played by Statler and Waldorf, the old guys from the balcony. Yeah. They were clearly not like, Aristotelian no friends of nobility, like they were friends of utility, right? They were business partners that had the same goals and the same idea of how to go about business. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think the, the movie does a good job of sort of painting the fundamental difference between the Marleys and Scrooge. You know, the Marleys, when you see them at Fozzie's company where Fozzie's very generous and the Marleys are clearly like very greedy and sort of mean-spirited. Whereas it seems as though Scrooge, due to 
his you know sort of life circumstances where he sort of felt like he had to work his way Mm. up and so i feel like scrooge has a little bit of that sort of mentality of like well if i make enough money then i can like insulate myself from loneliness and i feel like that's the sort of like turnabout in the Mm. in the woman where it's like oh no actually like my drive for money has actually ensured my loneliness and in the case of Marley and Marley, it's a real eternal loneliness. So, like, it's good. It's good to see the Muppets reject the idea of universal salvation. That you really, <laughs> you really do have a destiny that isn't guaranteed. True that. <laughs> Speaking of like sort of biblical interpretation, I also found it very interesting. One thing that occurred to me as I was watching it was that it feels like this is a direct rejection of what you read in like Luke 16, where it's the story of the rich man who the poor Lazarus at his table, and then the rich man dies and Lazarus is in heaven with Abraham and uh, the rich man is down in hell and asking Abraham to send Lazarus to give him a sip of water. And then he asks, can I go back and at least tell my brothers and my father about this? And Abraham says, no, like that's what the prophets are for. Oh, hey, that's a good, I didn't think about that. Yeah, like, because Abraham says in that passage, like, even if a man rise from the dead, which I mean, Marley is not like resurrected. He's a ghost. There's a difference. But it's basically like fulfilling the same sort of alert function for Scrooge as the rich man would be for his whoever is living people, his brothers. Yeah, I think his father and his brothers, if I remember. Yeah. So like the rich man is trying to kind of he's applying for the position of Marley and Abraham Jesus through Abraham is saying, if they didn't listen to the prophets, they're not going to listen to Marley. And sure enough, like Marley is not sufficient to convert Scrooge. That's a good, Mm, I didn't, yeah, I never, I never, that never occurred to me. That's a good one. There's my biblical Bob drop for the, for the night. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Good to see somebody else reading scripture into these things. (laughs) You trained me. It's a, it's a muscle. (laughs) (laughs) Your juxtaposition of Marley with Fezziwig. Got me thinking like there's a missing scene because like Scrooge, young Scrooge, when he's working under Fezziwig is like trying to, you know, hit the books. He has no time for frivolity or anything like that. And Fezziwig's trying to get him to loosen up. And then the Marleys come along and I'm imagining like the Marleys putting Fezziwig out of business. Yeah. And Scrooge is like, oh, finally, somebody I can relate to. Let me go to work for the real, the real guys. So now I'm imagining like a version of You've Got Mail. Where instead of Meg Ryan's bookshop, it's Fozzie Bear's whatever business he was running. Oh, <laughs> Merry Christmas! Also, a Christmas movie, or at least yeah. Christmas scenes in the movie. Before the Marleys show up, um, you got to have this scene with Scrooge's nephew Fred, where you know Fred tries to convince him to come and come to a Christmas party and enjoy, you know, appreciate the meaning of Christmas, and Scrooge is like not interested and. One thing that I thought was telling, and I looked up this line, it is from the novel. It's not just from the Muppet movie. Scrooge says, you keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. This very relativist faith, keep faith in the private square kind of mentality, which I thought was pretty brazen coming from Scrooge. (laughs) And certainly don't impose your view of morality on me, which I did do a little bit of 
you know, lazy internet research coming into this. And it's funny because I actually didn't know that Dickens really wrote this as social commentary and like a pretty scathing social commentary about the conditions in 19th century England, which were pretty terrible for anybody who was less fortunate. Which in the Muppet, in the Muppet version gets watered down considerably because it's a kid's movie, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I think it's also just hard for us today to kind of imagine, you know, like just how destitute that situation would be you know like the Cratchit's home feels sort of warm and cozy but it's also like it was like a one room place in you know a bad part of London so Mm -hmm. I think like that that kind of like while it may have been sort of true in a way it's hard to really convey the destitute without it being like really ridiculously bad Yeah. yeah like not appropriate for children I just thought that was like an interesting little nod to the original book in that like, yeah, the Muppets aren't going to like get into the like hard parts of social commentary. Uh, it's all like pretty, you know, feel good, like surface level stuff that feels obvious to us as, mm-hmm. you know, 21st century viewers. But it certainly is kind of like under the surface there that Scrooge is like particularly depraved in a way where he's like, you can't impose on me. Like, I'm not giving to your charity. You know, he mentions when the, um, who is it, Beaker and... Bunsen and Beaker, yeah. Yeah. When Bunsen and Beaker come and ask for money, he mentions these poor houses, which apparently at the time in 19th century England were, like, really horrific. They basically, mm-hmm. like, separated families. So it's like, you know, the men were on one side, the women were on the other. It was, like, meant to be so terrible to like scare you out of being poor (laughs) and so and i mean scrooge also sort of mentions the idea that was not uncommon at the time that like the poor should just die and like that would be good for population control reduce the surplus population they got to put that line in like every adaptation of this novel (laughs) yeah exactly um so i do think it was kind of interesting like there's certainly like a nod for the adults to like what the real stakes are here, even if it's not like really fully played out because it's a children's movie. Yeah. You do still see that little bunny Muppet like shivering in the snow. Well, I guess we'll, we'll see with Tiny Tim how tough it gets. You know, I think there's a connection. It, I think it's prevalent that, that Fred, Scrooge's nephew, is so different from him while still being related to him to show Scrooge or to show us really not Scrooge yet (laughs) that um, that there is something in kind of Scrooge's blood that is other than the way he's been living that is just been swept under the rug or neglected in some corner of his psyche um, that Fred exemplifies and it's connected to love because Fred also talks about his wife fiance wife Clara Unclear. I'm going to say wife. Yeah, Fred talks about his wife, Clara, and like how he married for love. And Scrooge similarly bah humbugs love and says that it's the only thing in the world sillier than a Merry Christmas, which is in this story, the primary opposition, the primary opponent for Scrooge, which that line is not from the novel as far as I could tell. That was a Muppet thing. But I think it's I think it's interesting. They, they tried to tie together the notion of Merry Christmas and love. Which we'd be remiss on this podcast if we didn't mention. (laughs) Well, it's also interesting because it also brings in this interesting element of choice. Like Fred chooses happiness. Fred chooses love. And by the same token, Scrooge chooses loneliness in a way, right? Like he chooses to not 
propose to the woman that he ostensibly loves. He chooses to not take the invitation from Fred every year to join his Christmas celebration, right? Like Fred is there offering an olive branch every year and it's really Scrooge's choice to reject these things, which is also means that like he has the ability to choose otherwise. Yeah, he he had the ability to choose otherwise, which we see, which the Ghost of Christmas Past, as creepy as that Muppet ghost is, <laughs> it's awful. Shows him with that episode where Scrooge turns down the the love of his life. And as I was watching it this time, I thought, oh no, Scrooge is falling victim to an over insistence on the success sequence. <laughs> he's putting off he's putting off the call to love for the sake of stable finances. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that the Muppet Christmas Carol would be so pressured for us 30 years later? Because <laughs> I think for Scrooge, that's just an excuse, right? There was no financial benchmark that would have made it okay for him to get married and start a family at that point in his, in his history. Well, I mean, the, the girlfriend, I think she says at, when they're on the bench, they're like, you are now a, like you own your own business. Like you are at the top. What's there to wait for? Yeah, and I don't think he has a good response for that. I think he just avoids it. <laughs> He's just like, oh, too much work, too much to do. We might not be successful. So that's the ghost of Christmas past. Oh, I feel like it, I would also be remiss to not mention how much I love Sam, the American Eagle, and his <laughs> his inability to not mention America. It was I just love that. It is the American way. I mean, the British way. <laughs> That's so good. Their adaptation of Muppet, or I guess their casting of Muppet characters as Dickens characters is like spot on here. Oh, yeah. Fozzie so Wig writes itself. <laughs> Miss Piggy as Emily Cratchit. Like, if I could just give Scrooge a piece of my mind. Perfect. Uh, totally. Obviously, it's... Kermit as Bob Cratchit. Perfect. Yeah, all the rats. I forgot how much I enjoyed Rizzo in this as well. Rizzo is probably, honestly, for all his shenanigans, is probably responsible for kids not getting alienated from the harsher parts of the story. And in turn, those kids getting a little bit older and being willing to read the actual novel mm. because they weren't turned off by an overly like intense version. So Rizzo playing his part, yeah. For sure, and Gonzo. Yeah. So that's the ghost of Christmas past. Is it time for the ghost of come in and know me better, man? <laughs> Let's do it. I had, I had a friend who, who used to say that a lot. It was great. Find, find a friend who's, who tells you to come in and know me better, man. I don't know. What Muppet is that? I don't think it is. I think it's an oh. original, an original J- Muppet company for creation for the movie. I enjoyed that one. It feels sort of like wise, normally speaking, animal. Had that kind of, like the beard. Yeah. One thing that was interesting, they, they had a little unique way, which is from the books, but they, they actually made it into the movie, which it didn't have to, of connecting the ghosts of past and present to the Christmas event, to the nativity of Jesus, because... Scrooge asks each of the the ghosts about their background a little bit. And the ghost of Christmas past says, I can remember almost 1900 Christmases, like drawing attention to the fact that this is not some arbitrary holiday, that this is historically situated. So she's basically immortal. She's going to live forever and remember everything. And then the ghost of Christmas present is like the inverse of that. 
he has over 1800 brothers, but he only lives for that one day because he's the present, right? Which I thought that was a neat kind of tying together of life and death to the birth of Jesus. I thought that was that was kind of clever of, I assume Dickens and then the Muppets <laughs> by association. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, it's one of those little details we've talked before about kind of world building and it's one of those little details that was like maybe unnecessary, but sort of fleshes out a very particular idea where it's like the present really only is the present and it goes away. Mm-hmm. And so like the embodiment of that would be something ephemeral. It gives you an idea without describing it all and ruining the mystery. Like it gives you an idea of how this this sort of world might work. Yeah. It gives you like a little glimpse into that. Um, and any more would have been a distraction. Yeah. And then <laughs> with the ghost of Christmas yet to come, who is always just this hooded, non-speaking, pointing guy who's creepy in his own way. Very creepy. <laughs> As pointed out by Rizzo and Gonzo, they're like, peace out, homies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A real message to the kids, like, you may want to fast forward through this part until you're a little bit older. But providing that, like, memento mori very bluntly and unavoidably. Because Scrooge is, at that point, he's pretty much converted for the most part. We'll come back to the the real, like, kind of turning point of his conversion. And at this point, he's sort of bargaining with the ghost of Christmas yet to come. He's, he sort of gets the, the shtick. He's like, oh, I see. We're, you know, we're going to the cemetery because there's a chance that I might die if I don't change my ways. I get it. And it's still sort of external to him. And the, and the yet to come is still pointing like, no, look at your tombstone. This is not yeah. uh, what might be. This is what will be. You will die, Scrooge. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, Scrooge is backing away that whole time. And there is a sort of, I hate to call it. <laughs> feels so cheesy to say a come to Jesus moment, but like truly, <laughs> you know, the like, okay, the the true realization of the end of it, or it's like, you can't take your money with you. Like it's, yeah. there is an end. And now you have a choice again. I guess technically you could take your money with you in this story, but that's how, that's what Marley does. And that's not better it's better to not take your money with you because Marley's dragging it around for all eternity. It's a heavy burden. Yeah. That feels sort of like a Divine Comedy kind of punishment. Oh, yeah, this, very much. Uh, ironic turn of your earthly sin into your eternal punishment. Yeah. And of course, as we all know, Scrooge does convert. I don't think that's a spoiler for anybody. He changes his ways. And it's not... Like we said, it's not directly the experience with Marley that does it. That's just what kind of gets him in the door of going on this journey. But I think, Kara, the the turning point in this journey is really with present and seeing Fred and how Fred thinks, how Fred really thinks about him when Scrooge isn't around. And then seeing another family, the Cratchit family, and the squalor that Scrooge is largely responsible for putting them through. And Tiny Tim. I feel like, how much, how much is Tiny Tim and how much is the other stuff in your mind? I'm going to say Tiny Tim is probably 60% of it. Yeah. Fred is like 20% and then the remaining 20% is like the other Cratchits. Yeah. The, the one sort of like quibble I have about the Fred scene is that 
he has shown himself to be so hard hearted. I'm not sure that would really get to him, but I guess that's kind of the like point of the past is to sort of like butter him up a little bit to be mm. more receptive to the embarrassment. Yeah. Like if you jump right into Fred dragging Scrooge, I think Scrooge just rejects it. He's like, I'll oh, screw that guy. Yeah. But yeah, having that Scrooge, remember where you came from bit and how you've also treated other people along the way probably opens him up to be a little bit more amenable to that kind of harsh criticism. Yeah. Well, and in both of those scenes, you know, they are scenes of camaraderie and family. And I think yeah. it kind of the the past, and I'm sort of being a little facetious saying it buttered him up, but it certainly sort of like reminded him of his loneliness. And then to come into a warm environment, I think it just sort of like draws the contrast very mm. neatly that... Yeah. And I think the Cratchits especially, you know, on the one hand, like Fred as an equal, certainly in sort of, you know, financial status, in a way, I think his happiness is expected. Whereas like seeing the Cratchits and how thankful they are, even for their, you know, meager Christmas goose, and like the, the sort of love that's shown, even for, you know, Tiny Tim, whose future is uncertain. Yeah, like Fred is sort of living the good life in a way that's generally kind of benign. Yeah. Uh, like it doesn't seem too selfish, but it's also not, it's not very selfless either. And then he goes to see the Cratchits, which is a family that is living sacrifice from moment to moment, basically. And the the love that they have is so evident. You know, you see that with Bob Cratchit, played by Kermit. Um and really, I think the best scene in the movie is Bob taking Tiny Tim home and they're scatting the song One More Sleep Till Christmas um, in the streets of London. That's, you, you, that scene never gets old. You can watch that on loop. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet. It's like the ideal vision of fatherhood. Yeah, really. Yeah, that was another interesting thing, just reading about the history of the book and that apparently whatever Tiny Tim is sort of assumed to have as his illness is something that had they been wealthy would not have been as debilitating. Like there hmm. were cures for it. Um, and so it kind of is meant to be exceptionally poignant that Scrooge is responsible for their squalor because he doesn't pay Cratchit very well and therefore is also responsible for whether or not Tiny Tim lives because it is something that could be fixed. Yeah. And you see in the Christmas yet to come after the possible future where due to a lack of resources, Tiny Tim dies and you see Kermit mourning the death of his son. That is easily the hardest scene to watch as yeah. well. It's that's so sad, which I think hammers home the, the point for Scrooge. Yeah. Like if this could be avoided, it has to be avoided no matter what I have to sacrifice. Yeah. And I mean, what a turn. I feel like it, it's only upon sort of further reflection that I felt the turnaround. Cause in a way, it sort of feels like, well, obviously, like he feels really bad about Tiny Tim and he's like a very, you know, he's a very sympathetic character. But I think when you, if, like, if you rewatch it in quick succession, seeing just how cold Scrooge is towards the poor about basically, you know, the whole like population control. <laughs> comment it's like what a turnaround right like oh here is somebody who you know has an illness that he is essentially saying is worth saving and by extension you imagine he's now saying you know human life is worth saving yeah 
a lot of the sort of like a social commentary is a little bit more subtle here versus what Dickens was going for. But it certainly subtly makes the point when at the end Scrooge also gives Cratchit a raise, right? Like that's Mm. the thing that's really the big sort of seismic shift. And, you know, I think as Christians, it can be hard to navigate like what is the appropriate kind of interpretation of the idea that like paying somebody just wages, like that is a complicated question, but it feels like in this particular case, it's like very obvious that he was not this one is just wages. Cut. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They're like really destitute. And so providing a just wage by, by giving him a raise actually is like the real solution. Right. And like the real commentary that, you know, I think that like the Muppets, it's like, it all feels nice. But again, I think this is one of those things that kind of gets lost on, on you a little bit as a, as a modern reader. Although maybe yeah. not. I would also love a raise. So, you know, maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love a raise more than a Christmas turkey. So maybe that's still resonant. <laughs> but no, I, I think that's a, that's a good point. Like, it's not enough to just make the nice gesture with the turkey on Christmas Day. Like a real metanoia, a real conversion involves, well, involves backing it up with a real permanent change. And that's what I think that's why he says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year, not just on Christmas. Because one thing you were saying uh, before we started recording is like volunteering and charitable efforts, they tend to be flooded with help on major holidays. Yeah, I think like the end of the year, especially it's like there's all this influx of like Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, and then, you know, Mm. August rolls around and it's like, hey, actually, we can use some food now. Yeah, right. So yeah, Dickens provides a very systematic approach to, or very thorough approach. I feel like he gives, he gives a very clear like path forward. That also yeah, feels path. sort of personally actionable. To a more charitable world. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is going to be the last, uh, our last podcast of the year. Uh, we're going to be on break for Christmas and we'll be back, we'll be back in January. And it was a great year, uh, not just because we had Kara with us, which again, thank you, Kara. Happy to do it. For joining us as always. But we set a Made for Love record for most downloads in a year. Oh, that's exciting. So thank you all for listening. We got a lot more to look forward to in 2023. We got some exciting changes that we're, uh, we're going to be sharing in the first part of 2023. Nothing's going to happen to the podcast, but some other things related to it. Stay tuned. <laughs> so we will see you in 2023. Have a blessed Advent, uh, Merry Christmas, and God love you. Merry Christmas. Tis the season to be jolly and joyous. Fa-la-la, with the burst of pleasure we feel a ride. Fa-la-la, it's a season when the saints can employ us. Fa-la-la, to spread the news about peace and to keep love alive.